Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your candidate or career search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston, executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. As usual, I have brought another fantastic guest to you today to kind of talk about what they do. So I'd like to welcome Michelle uh, Sirocco, the chief responsibility officer at Televerde. Um, this is a leading B2B demand generation company that supports revenue and sales generation for its clients. The company has an extremely unique business model and provides sales training, education, and jobs for incarcerated women, both while imprisoned and after they're released, helping them find their voice and reach their human potential. Michelle has been a part of the Televerdi family for more than 20 years, contributing to sales, marketing and client success departments before taking the role of chief social responsibility officer, a position dedicated to create create opportunities to change lives. Michelle, I, I heard you on a podcast and reached out in blind faith that you would say yes to coming on our show. And I can't wait to hear what you have to share with our audience today. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. So, and you're just part of this huge movement. Um, in fact, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but can you kind of give us a brief overview of the services that Televerdi provides and how incarcerated women fit into that service, including, if you don't mind, your story? Okay. Well, that's a lot to start with. I know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, from a high level, Televerdi is a business-to-business uh, demand generation and sales outsource agency. So essentially, uh, we really help our customers find new customers. And, and we do that by combining best in class sales and marketing technology with the human touch to help our customers uh, identify who they should be communicating with, starting the uh, initial contact through kind of digital channels, email, uh, marketing, and traditional uh, digital marketing channels, and then starting the conversation with the business decision makers, CEOs, CFOs, uh, vice presidents, um, high level executives that are making uh, decisions about uh, really technology solutions. So uh, our customers uh, tend to be the who's who in the high tech space, companies like Marketo or SAP um, are outsourcing their demand generation and inside sales services to us. Um, it, but it's not really so much the what we do that's so in interesting, it's, it's the how we do it. So Televerdi is a company that was founded um, 25 years ago, based on the idea of providing women in prison with jobs, training, and education while they were incarcerated, um, that we could, one, build a profitable business, and two, enable the women to develop marketable skills um, that would uh, enable them to successfully transition back into the community and be financially independent and develop a really meaningful and rewarding career. 
So we've now been doing this for 25 years and, uh, and the women do uh, everything necessary to run our business. So if you think about a marketing department, all of the different roles in a marketing department from uh, the, the targeting and the account profiling and setting up marketing campaigns in tools like Eloqua or Marketo, um, and then actually making all of the calls and the reporting and, and the business intelligence and the analytics necessary to uh, be successful. All of that work is done by women uh, that work for us inside the prison. That is amazing. You know what I just realized, Michelle? You, when you said that the Televerde is only 25 years old and you've been with the company for over 20 years, <laughs> you've been there since the infancy of the company. Yeah, I was like 12 when I started. <laughs> Me too. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I have been with the company since um, we were a, a very small company. I'm I employee number 40. Um, wow. And we have, yeah. And we have, um, you know, as I talk about the, the women who have worked for us, because in, in, I do want to talk a little bit more about the business model before I get into kind of the rest of it, is that in addition to providing the women with jobs while they're incarcerated, we provide them with the opportunity to come work for us here at our corporate office when they get out. So to continue their, their career here. So here at our corporate office, we have about 200 people that work here and 40% of the people working here at our corporate office are women who started their career with the company while they were incarcerated. And we have people at, at every level of the organization um, in every single department of the organization, including 30% of our executive leadership team that started their career with the company while they were incarcerated. That is incredible. Yeah. And then in addition to providing with the them with the opportunity to come work here for us, um, we also founded a 501c3 that um, really helps with the wraparound services necessary to help the women get ready to join the workforce um, and transition back into the community when they're released. Uh, and they've also developed a job placement program so that we're partnering with other uh, companies in the Valley and, and actually all over the country to help the women um, get meaningful work after they've been released from prison. And so we've had great success pl placing them with other companies, but also uh, they have the opportunity to go on and work for our clients. And so, uh, for example, SAP, um, one of the biggest technology companies in the world, mm -hmm. regular, regularly recruits uh, the women from Televerde. So the gals will start representing SAP while they're incarcerated. They'll transition here to our corporate office into uh, a sales development role or an inside sales rep role. And then when SAP has requirements at their Tempe office here in Arizona, they'll recruit directly from our workforce. And so uh, currently they've got about 25 women working over there who started their career with the company while they were incarcerated at Televerde. And the number one business development rep in the country uh, for SAP was a gal who started her career with Televerde while she was serving time. That is just amazing to me that you have that kind of heart, that passion for these women because, and somebody needs to, and I'll tell you, I mean, it's kind of something that um, is close to me as well because I grew up with my uh, in-laws who they did prison ministry, you know, from the time I met them when I was 13 till the time that my mother-in-law passed away. And do you know, want to know what the majority of the population of the people in attendance at her funeral were? People that she'd reached or, out to in prison ministry. 
and I mean, they just oh. stood up there and boohooed and said how she changed their life, gave them a second chance when nobody else would. I mean, often these people would parole to their house. That's wow. how into that's, their, yeah. That's really touching. So, so you know and you understand that, um, you know, the people that, that exist inside our, that, that are currently incarcerated or formerly incarcerated are, are women just like you and me, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're people who have made bad choices and um, they're, you know, paying the consequences for the mistakes that they made or the decisions they made. And honestly, they shouldn't have to be judged for the rest of their life based on the worst decisions they made on the worst days of their lives. But um, as a society, we tend to continue to uh, punish people for the rest of their lives through uh, employment practices, voting practices, where people are able to live and just, you know, force them to, to carry that stigma forever. So, and that's so interesting that you say that. And I know that you're speaking not just because you're helping these women, but because you were one of these women. Can we kind of touch on that? Are you okay with that? Sure. Sure. I, um, so my, my story is, is, is just exactly that, right? I, I have a phenomenal, um, bio now. I spend most of my time speaking on stages and, and, uh, traveling around the world, uh, talking about, you know, issues related to incarceration and, and employment and, um, but but it hasn't always been this way. You know, I, I haven't always had a C in front of my title, you know, here at Televerdi. Um, I was um, uh, I was just a small town girl doing, you know, small town girl things uh, growing up in uh, the 70s and 80s. And and, uh, you know, with a. You know, I came from a place where where girls didn't go to college, or really anybody didn't go to college, and and I did what a lot of the girls in my neighborhood did. I I became a bartender, and I married my high school sweetheart, and I had a couple children, and and by the time I was 25, I realized I really wanted more out of life. Um, I wanted a better house, a better car, more money. Um, I wanted a man that, that that had a better job, and so I left my husband and I set out on my own. Um, but I was still a bartender, um, a really good bartender. If you've ever been a bartender or if you've ever been to a bar, you can imagine how much fun it is. I, I've been a bartender, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, right. So, um, you know, so it was a lot of fun, you know, maybe, maybe too much fun. And uh, I with, with kind of I found my way into the wrong crowd and with a deep desire for upward mobility and, and a misguided entrepreneurial spirit, um, I ultimately found myself uh, facing uh, kind of the worst day of my life. Um, I, you know, my life looked a little bit like an episode of Breaking Bad at that point. And uh, I went to see the judge one day and that's when he told me he was giving me the maximum sentence in prison of seven years. And, um, you know, if you ask a little girl what she wants to be when she grows up, the one thing that she'll never say is, I want to go to prison. Um, but it was quite possibly the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, cause when I got there, uh, I was lucky enough to have a, a, a really good counselor who said to me, um, he said, you know, Michelle, you can spend your time here worrying about what other people think about you, um, worrying about how to fit in with the in crowd, because believe it or not, there's an in crowd in prison too. <laughs> and he said, or you can, you know, choose to use this time to, uh, become the best version of yourself. And so that's what I did. And, um, you know, that meant, that meant taking care of a lot of things, getting right with myself in a, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and, 
that's what started me on the path of, of setting goals um, and, and changing my life. And so in that process is when I heard about this company called Televerdi. And, um, you know, what I knew was they uh, were a company that ran their business using incarcerated women in the state of Arizona. And that if you were really good at the job, that when you got out, you could get a job at their corporate office. And so I just figured that uh, this was my golden ticket. Um, I figured that if I could be really good with the company while I was on the inside, then um, I could uh, get a job at the corporate office and just imagine the things I could do with my life. And, and so that was a very long time ago. <laughs> so uh, it, yeah, it just kind of worked for me. Well, it did kind of work out exactly how you hoped it would, right? That you might get a job uh, with corporate office, might make work your way up there, stuff like that. Um, so the, your business model invests in human potential by providing the education, the job training and the opportunities. How has this helped to reduce recidivism in your community? Oh, so, um, we'll, we'll just, yeah, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about kind of incarceration and recidivism to, to kind of get to the, to that part okay. of the story is, is, um, because most people in our country don't really understand the gravity of the situation as it relates to mass incarceration in our country. Um, but uh, the reality of it is, is you know, in the U.S., we are number one at incarcerating people. Um, we currently have more people in prison than any other country in the world. Oh, wow. um, there's two 2.3 million people that are currently incarcerated and 70 million people with a criminal record. Um, so, yeah, so what that means is that one in two people have an immediate family member that's currently or formerly incarcerated. Uh, and we've already established between you and I that it was me. <laughs> so <laughs> You don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it could very well be both of us, right? Right. Uh, it also means that um, with 70 million people with a criminal record, we have as many people in our country with criminal record as we do people with college degrees. Wow. Yeah. And um, as a country, we're spending $182 billion a year on incarceration, um, which would probably be okay if it was actually solving a problem, right? But as business people, we don't, we don't invest money unless we've got some sort of a return on our investment. And this is probably the worst ROI of any business proposition you could imagine because um, actually 83% of all people will go back to prison within nine, within nine years. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and the number one predictor for uh, recidivism is joblessness. Um, and one year, one full calendar year after incarceration, 55% of people will report zero income. Mm. So, so it's obviously a, a huge situation. And um, in fact, for somebody with a criminal record, on average, they have a 25% higher unemployment rate. But for women with a criminal record, it's actually 43% higher unemployment. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah I, it's shocking statistics yeah. when, you, when you hear it, right? For, yes, absolutely. So for the women of Televerde, um, we've been lucky enough to be able to provide opportunities for over 3,000 women so far. And um, the women of Televerde are reporting a recidivism rate of less than five and a half percent. I just want to stop and clap. I don't know if that's allowed, but <laughs> that's, yay. Wow. Yeah. That is yeah. amazing. 
Yeah. So, you know, even from the national standpoint, it's obviously very significant. But even in, here in Arizona, uh, the recidivism rate for women in Arizona is 38 percent. And so it's it's a huge difference. And then the women of Tele Verde are uh, reporting a 94 percent employment rate. <laughs> one year after incarceration and uh, salaries of 3X. I didn't mention that before. For those that are employed the first year after the, the 45% that are that do have employment, the average earnings is $10,469. Yeah. Wow. And the women, yeah. Right. Could you imagine trying to live on that? No. Um, <laughs> no. Because as a society, we tend to believe that, um, People who have been incarcerated are only capable of or only um, deserving of low wage and low skill jobs. Um, but for the women of Televerde, uh, the first first year after they're reporting uh, salary, their, their earnings are 3x, more than 3x the average. Um, and five years uh, after incarceration, uh, reporting average salaries of about $60,000 a year. That is amazing. I, I think I'm going to go back and count the number of times I say wow in this podcast because <laughs> I'm just amazed. I'll tell you, I have a client that I work with that provides communications to uh, the prison systems. And oh, okay. I think, and I'm, I'm not going to mention their name here because I didn't get approval to do so, but I'm a huge fan of theirs. And But when I first started working with them, I went in there and they were ta talking about this new product that they were delivering. And do you remember the iTunes jukeboxes? that were around yeah. for a little bit. It was something yeah. that looked like that, but basically what it was is the um, inmates could earn privileges to FaceTime with their family each day. And I'm sitting yeah. here going, I'm like, and this is naive me, right? This is, I know a lot more now, but I was just like, didn't these people do something wrong? You know, do they really <laughs> deserve this? And that's when I learned about the recidivism and the fact that those people that lose touch with the outside world are the ones that are also more likely to go back to jail. So yeah. I, and then that made me think about what my in-laws were doing with their prison ministry and how important that was and how they were helping to reduce that recidivism as well. Well, you know, to, to kind of, um, call you out a little bit on, on what your thought process was. That's a very common thought process, right? Is that we, we send people to prison and we lock them up and we ignore them and forget about them. And um, then when they get out, we expect them to somehow be different. Yeah. You know, and 97% and of all people who go to prison are going to return as our neighbors in the future. Yeah. So. And, and so that's that's what we all need to think about is that these are our returning neighbors and how do we welcome them into our communities in a way uh, that enables them to be successful? I, I think that's so important. And like I said, my mindset is really shifted in that regards. You know, I want to help these people because just like you, I mean, your when you had yours, that was what, 25, 26 years ago, probably longer than that. Yeah. And yeah. You know, it's still okay. So let me give you another example. I just had this happen today um, with a candidate who I'm not going to name, but we were doing the background check. Background check came back fine, but when we ran their DMV, it came back restricted. And so we started digging into it. And my clients like, we can't hire somebody with a restricted driver's license. the The reason his the person's driver's license was restricted was because he had a DUI 21 years ago. Absolutely. Nothing since. Nothing on his record, nothing in his background, nothing. And we're having issues with this. 21 years ago, he was a kid. 
And so, yeah. I, I, you know, I feel your pain. And, you know, and I'm sitting there, I was thinking about you today when I was dealing with this. I was like, wow, you know, what do people do? How do they overcome that? Yeah, well, it's, you know, how does the person overcome that? It, it actually requires the, the the rest of our country to help people overcome that. So I'll give you my own personal example. Um, you know, as I said, I, my, you know, my bio, I've got an MBA from a top business school. I've mm-hmm. uh, been vice president, ch- chief marketing officer, uh, and I was recently being heavily recruited for an executive level position that um, I was candidly overqualified for, uh, but I was interested in, in seeing where it would go and, and how it would go. And after multiple conversations with the recruiter, they asked me to go online and fill out some form some system that they had for the organization that I was interviewing for. And uh, so when I did, I go through the process and I get to that question that says, you know, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And and I thought to myself, I'm like, does this, does this matter? Like this, this is 20, almost 25 years ago. And, um, but I go back and I read it and it says, have you ever, you know, not within the last seven years or, or any of those, have you ever? And I thought, okay, well, lying is lying and I don't do that. And so I, you know, I'm like, okay, I I checked the box and the system literally kicked me out and said, thank you for your interest in this position. But based on, you know, your, based on your qualifications, we don't feel you'd be a good fit. And I just, it was one of those moments, one of those tipping point moments for me in my career. And I I, I said, you know, something's got to change. Like when, when, does it stop? When do I stop becoming judged for, like I said, the worst day of my life? You know? That, yeah. And so you've kind of started a movement around that. Is that a correct way to say it? I, I would love to take credit for starting the movement, um, but there is a big movement that's going on that um, I've joined forces with a lot of um, huge organizations and important people in promoting this idea um, of banning the box and giving all qualified candidates a chance. Um, Coke Industries uh, was one of the first uh, companies in the country to come forward and say, you know, we regularly hire and employ people with criminal records and um, we've banned the box at all of our companies and are really making a call for everybody to do the same. And and then they have worked through their institutes and foundations with SHRM, um, the Society for Human Resource Management Professionals. I'm assuming everybody on this call knows who SHRM is since yeah. it's kind of HR related. Um, and so they've partnered with SHRM to do the research necessary to help um, businesses, hiring managers understand how, how people feel about working with uh, people with criminal records, and how people in the community feel about um, buying or having people with criminal records working for companies that that they support. And um, the the evidence is is overwhelmingly positive uh, on how people feel about this. For example, you know, more than fifty percent of hiring managers just want to find the right candidate, right? Absolutely. And greater than and greater than seventy percent of people um, are absolutely fine with working with somebody with a criminal record or have are completely indifferent to the topic. Uh, and that goes back to everybody knows somebody in this situation, you know? Absolutely. And so, 
And so SHRM has actually come out with some really good resources for hiring managers to um, and companies to to use in doing this because they're they're asking companies to take the pledge to basically just give all qualified candidates a chance. And that just means that um, put the put the screening process, put it further down into the thing. So take it out of the initial screening, find your best candidate, then then have the conversation about, okay, is there something in your background that I should be aware of? And then determine, like you said, about your candidate. Does it make a difference to this job, right? Does it make a difference to the position that we're hiring for? When did it happen? What is it? What's the relevance? Yeah, that was kind of a shocker, you know, and I've had several other instances come up where, you know, as a recruiter, I'm the one that's usually going to get the offer for the candidate. And, you know, I can think of many, many times when I've had, you know, offers rescinded because of background checks, because we usually, the background checks are typically done after the offers given contingent on background and credit and all that good stuff and drug tests. But, um, yeah, you know, and I kind of want to go back to this automatic screening, you know, how, how is that hurting the employer? How is that just just yeah yeah so if you you think about it you know we are in we're at the beginning of what's going to become a major global talent shortage right so um i don't i don't know what the numbers are are nationally but for example here in arizona we are um we've got 3.66 3.6 percent unemployment here in arizona um we are well and actually these numbers are nationally um they're 17 months now, uh, the 7.3 million jobs available and only about 6.1 million people looking for work. Yep. So, so there's not enough talent to begin with. There's not enough people looking for work. Everybody's becoming familiar with the term ghosted for people who don't show up for interviews or don't show up for their first day of work. Right. Because oh my gosh. Yeah, as a recruiter, we get that a lot. Yeah, uh, you know, and everybody can walk across the street to, to, to get a dollar more or $10,000 more a year and, and people are more than willing to. Um, and so when you have this, the automatic screening, the technology that literally somebody goes in to apply for a job and it does what it did to me, how much talent are you excluding from even considering for a, posi- a position? So that's it's taking away a whole talent pool of people who candidly once, um, you know, once somebody with a criminal record uh, gets a job, they tend to be some of the most loyal, engaged mm-hmm. and, and dedicated employees that you'll find. Because honestly, the only thing worse than going to prison is actually having to tell somebody you've been to prison. Oh, yeah. oh wow. So. Yeah. So from an employment standpoint, if you can avoid having to go out and do that again, you're going to put your all into the job that you have um, because they've taken a chance on you and they've invested in you and, and, and you want to you know, give back to, uh, to, to the organization that's believing in you. That is so amazing that you say that. And I want to just say, you know, as a recruiter, you know, I do want to get that information up front about do you have anything in your background? Because then I can be your champion with the client and say, okay, this happened, but this is, this is a situation. I still think you need to talk to them. And so we can sometimes help you get around that where, you know, you might not be able to get around it on your own. You can't get through that, you know, automated system. Yeah. Yeah. You you know, and I do want to thank you, Michelle, because I know that the other day we had a candidate just like that, that came to us that I wasn't going to be able to help because of the person's record. And I sent that person to you. 
And even though you couldn't help that person, you sent them to the next step. And so I really appreciate you paying it forward and helping people like that. Oh, ab- absolutely. Any any time that I can help another person in, in this space uh, kind of get, get a, a leg up or a hand forward or, you know, however you want to describe it, I, I feel it's kind of my responsibility. As chief responsibility officer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, we are to the part of our show where we ask you our VIP questions. Are you ready? I've been waiting all day for these moments. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, actually. Not even kidding. Um, All right. If you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or three people would you take with you? This was the hardest one for me to answer. (laughs) Um, So I would say... uh, uh, the, one of the things I would take with me is uh, our director of communications, Kelly Walensiak, um, because Kelly has just this awesome ability to understand the world around her and be able to communicate it in terms that everybody can understand. So so she, she can take my craziness and help me communicate it to uh, the people on Mars. Um, she's, <laughs> so you need she's a buffer also, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's also a vegan and uh, somehow I'm sure that if there's anything to eat on Mars, it's going to be plant-based. So she can help oh, me figure out what to eat while smart. we're there. Smart. Yeah, right. Um, I would have to take champagne with me uh, because if there's one thing in the world that, that I just love, it's, it's a, a glass of bubbles. Okay. And I'm certain there will be many moments to celebrate on Mars. And then um, I'd have to take my dog with me because um, there's nothing better than the unconditional love of um, our little furry friends. You're my kind of girl. I have two dogs, so that would take up two of the three slots. <laughs> well, I know. That's, I'd have to pick which dog to take, so I'd probably <gasps> take the smaller one. You can't <laughs> she pick? Fits. Well, pick one's the my communication officer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> take the dogs. <laughs> okay. What is one thing you do every morning to set your day up for success? So this is – the best way to describe this is that I – ease my way into my day every day. Um, I I never, never, even if I have a 5 a.m. flight, I never get straight out of bed and get in the shower. Okay. Um, I wake up, I take time for myself, I sit, I have my coffee or tea or, you know, whatever morning beverage I'm having at at that point in time. Um, Sometimes it's just lemon water. Um, and, And I wake up to the morning and focus on what's in front of me, what, what do I have happening? And just mentally, mentally and physically prepare myself for the day that's ahead of me. That is sometimes wonderful. I, yeah, sometimes it's, if I've got a 5 a.m. flight, it might be only 15 minutes. And some, some mornings like today, I could spend two, two and a half hours um, just getting my, my mind and my, my day organized for what I'm going to do in a given day. That's awesome. Awesome. I do something very similar. I have a very structured routine in the morning, which if you knew me at all, you would be so impressed that I'm structured in the mornings. But it's something that I really treasure and that I protect. You know, I mean, I don't care who's at my house. You don't from 530 to 7, you don't mess with me. That's my time. So that's right. And it's very structured. (laughs) All right. Final question. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? I could think of a, a couple headlines, but um, I would have to say unapologetically me. Oh, 
I love that. And, and you know what? That really does sum you up. And, you know, there's so many little pieces and facets of you that we didn't touch on today that I just I wish we had more time. I just I really do. This is I, I think you're an incredible woman with an incredible mission. And I know that you're really starting to get out there, get the mission out there and make people aware of what y'all are doing where y'all haven't really done that in the past. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me. And it's my pleasure. How, and- how do people get in touch with you? Uh, absolutely. Find me on LinkedIn. It's just Michelle Sirocco. Uh, follow me on on Twitter um, at M Sirocco. Um, on Instagram is at ML Sirocco. Uh, Facebook. I am actually embarking on. I'm going to do a shameless plug here for a second. Uh, there is a new movie coming out called Just Mercy, uh, which is based on. Uh, best-selling novel by Brian Stevenson. It's it's really his memoir about his life's work in the in criminal justice reform. Uh, fabulous movie with Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan. I actually just had a uh, private screening of it the other day. Uh, and I am going to be, I'm kind of an ambassador for promoting this movie and all the criminal justice reform that we're going to do around it. So I would ask everybody to follow me on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and, and Instagram and uh, really learn about what's happening and, and find out more about, about how you can make a difference in, in your community as it relates to this space. Well, you let us know how VIP can help support you in that. Because we can push okay. stuff out to social and help, you know, just kind of just broaden that audience even more. We'd love to do that for yes. you. Absolutely. Hashtag represent justice. Start Got with it. that. I'm like, <laughs> Hashtag represent justice. Got it. All right. Well, I just have one more thing to say to you, Michelle. You, you are a VIP. Oh, and awesome. that's Thank a wrap you. for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.